So I was going through and just pulling out records thinking what can I talk about and I came across the two um, ultra vivid scene 12 inches that I own. I have all the albums on CD and actually when, when Rev first came out the third and final ultra vivid scene record it was released in a two CD um, fold out pack that had the UK single for I believe Blood and Thunder um, as like the second CD so you got a bonus EP out of the deal. CDs are pretty easy to find and I believe the first album the self-titled first album with the toothbrush on the cover was reissued a few years ago because this stuff was put out by 4AD and in the late 80s and early 90s 4AD had a deal with Elektra and in America and 4AD was absolutely running the table they had the Pixies the Cocteau Twins I mean it was all about 4AD at that time Rough Trade had completely fallen by the wayside with the demise of the Smiths so 4AD had taken over you know completely and and Evo was was pretty much in charge of the whole thing Kurt Rousk who was the the man behind Ultra Vivid Scene he had been in a ton of different bands in New York um, and he was actually in a hardcore band and he moved to London because that was where you know alternative music was really going off and so he was in this band called Nothing But Happiness they had one album I think it was called Detour and it was not that great and then he was also at the same time or transitioning into another band called Crash um, this was before the primitive single Crash so they weren't like named after the primitive song but Crash was, you know, one of the chancers that was trying to get into the C86, you know, mid-tempo Echo and the Bunnymen second wave of, you know, darker, heavier, bleeding uh, British pop. So Kurt Rousk moved over to London in the mid-80s and kind of cast his lot with this band Crash. Um, one of the later drummers in Crash is a guy called Bob Huff, and just a few months ago he uploaded um, the Crash album to YouTube. Also, there was another guy who was kind of the co-head of Crash, Mark DeMai. I mean, it was really his band, um, but Mark was famous for, well, sadly, um, after the band split up and Kurt Rouse formed Ultra Vivid Scene, he formed his own band called Tangerine, and they had one single called Sunburst that Creation put out. video is really painful um, because he was dying of AIDS and he did die in 1992 you know in tribute to him Kurt Rousk recorded one of those crash songs don't look now um, for the third and last ultra vivid scene album Rev because these are on 4AD you're getting the benefit of Von Oliver's designs on all of these records and these are pieces that um, really did not get a lot of exposure um, because Ultra Vivid Scene wasn't a particularly successful band. I mean, 4AD had really strong PR connections, so, you know, Kurt was interviewed in a couple of different places and features were done on the band, and there was a lot of promotion around the fact that he did everything himself on that first record. I recorded all the instruments on my own, uh, produced it myself, but 
lot since then. Yeah, I've been working with the band, and on the new record, there's, there's more, much more of the, the balance input. And uh, I'm hoping in the future that people will think of it as as a group and not just one weird guy from New York. You know, like a lot of stuff on 4AD, Von Oliver's packaging goes a long way to explaining how you know a teenage kid like me walks into the stacks and sees this after smoking a huge bowl in the car. That's fucking mine. Coming home with me. the lead single staring at the sun showing up on MTV in 120 minutes the second single special one um, featured Kim Deal a real sense of maybe Evo Watts Russell sort of, you know, hedging his bets and forming this kind of weird goth brill building in 4AD um, by having Kim sing on this track while she was also doing the breeders with Tanya Donnelly of Throwing Muses who were also on 4AD in, in the UK. All the while, the Pixies were printing money for them. Um, they were selling really strongly. Doolittle might have sold something like 200,000 albums. I really don't know the numbers for sure, but there's some comment in the oral history of the Pixies, Fool the World, which is quite good and I really recommend you buy it. They, they talk about how this record was a huge success for Elektra, particularly in America, because breaking college radio was still very, very hard at that time, and Elektra had their work cut out for them with Doolittle, because the Pixies wouldn't, they wouldn't lip sync in their videos. This was a really pretentious thing that REM had started where, you know, we're going to let MTV have a video, but it's going to be art and we're not going to lip sync and, you know, we're not your puppets, man. This was one of the dumbest, most fucking obstinate things that bands did at this time. I mean, it was just so stupid. What ended up coming out of that resistance was actually something really incredible, which was the video for Head On. The 
Pixies refused to lip sync, so Electra's A&R guys and PR guys got together and they're like, okay, we're going to call your bluff. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get 50 fucking cameras set up. We're going to film a single part of your body and create this Brady Bunch grid, and you're going to play it live. And we're going to release the video with the live audio of you playing so we can actually get you out there as personalities and not keep having these stupid, obscure videos where you're blurred out and you're just opening your mouth and, you know, being difficult. You're turning people off. I mean, if you don't want to turn people on, don't release any records. You know, the videos are an extension of the record. Just get over it. Well, they never did. Kurt Rousk is over in London, and he's in this band crash. And, you know, no disrespect to the dead, they were fucking terrible. their best song by a good margin. It's terrible to say the guy died, he was really creative, but his skill as a singer is really questionable. It was always questionable as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, Kurt went off on his own and did ultra, this Ultra Vivid Scene record and got a deal with 4AD. There is some question here as to whether or not uh, 4AD were trying to find their own Jesus and Mary Chain. Creation had had Jesus and Mary Chain and the Jesus and Mary Chain had gone and signed this absolutely enormous deal with Warners. The Jesus and Mary Chain had done their big debut album with Warners and they were working on Automatic which was going to be their big sellout, you know, dance pop crossover record with Head On. from a gun. I love that fucking record. I was 15 or something, or 14 when it came out. I thought it was the fucking coolest thing. It was like this blurry video. And these guys were so fucked up on drugs, probably. I mean, I still like their version of Head On. I think it's great. Head On's a classic riff. I mean, it's sort of like half of Knock on Wood. I mean, The National have a song on Alligator that's just Head On. Um, you can crossfade them as a goof if you want to screw with kids in Williamsburg.
like Staring at the Sun, I love Special One. There was also another song in there that I really love called Poison. This is a record I like mowed lawns to when I was a kid. In 1988, I was taping 120 minutes every Sunday night. I couldn't stay up until midnight to watch 120 minutes unless like I was sleeping over at a friend's house where we could go in the basement and nobody would know. In my house, the TV was in the living room and the living room was right next to my parents' bedroom. So I had to set the VCR you know, clock to record at midnight or 11.58 and get my two hours of 120 minutes. And what I used to do is like I just dubbed the audio out of the back of it to a cassette and listen to that while I was mowing lawns. For the most part, there weren't that many surprises, but every once in a while, I mean, they played uh, Someone Keeps on Bugging Me by Alien Sex Fiend. And that has stuck with me forever since then. And one of the other things they played was The Mercy Seat by Ultra Vivid Scene. And I remember it, it aired right after the hugely promoted build-up premiering the B-52's lead single from Cosmic Thing. I don't know who was working in A&R on that record, but the fucking lead single from Cosmic Thing wasn't Love Shack, it, was, it wasn't Rome, it was Channel Z. They thought their only shot was to promote it on 120 minutes. Nile Rodgers did half that fucking record with the B-52s. It was like a surefire pop smash but radio wouldn't fucking touch the B-52s in 1989. They ended up doing the right thing. They ended up making an MTV-friendly video for Love Shack, a total party. You know, I mean, that transitions into, like, fucking D-Light in a couple of, you know, years after that. It's this whole MTV go mad thing. And they did it, and it broke that record wide fucking open. But initially, they had no idea what was on their hands. They had no idea how to market it. So after Channel Z, which I don't mind that song, actually. I think it's the best song on Cosmic Thing, I guess. They played Mercy Seat, and I was just like, oh. Apart from Just Like Honey, I hadn't heard anything by the Jesus and Mary Chain. I didn't know about Upside Down or the cover of Vegetable Man or any of the really harsh shit. I didn't own Psycho Candy. I actually was like really intimidated by that record and afraid to buy it. My sisters had told me like that was too fucked up. And so I still had this feeling in my head that like that was really dark shit and I wasn't supposed to listen to that. By this time my sisters are gone and I'm doing my own thing and I'm like hanging out with like skaters that I hadn't heard of Jesus and Mary Chain so I couldn't be like well this is just a JMC ripoff who gives a shit a lot of people reacted that way when they heard Mercy Seat and some of the other tracks on the first Ultra Vivid Scene album but not me so I was a clean slate I fucking love that song I still love it I think it's different enough and has enough of a shoegaze tinge to it that it shouldn't be consigned to a Jesus and Mary Chain ripoff in the the history of pop music because Jesus and Mary Chain is a very specific thing I mean I think of something like the kills as owing a lot more to the Jesus and Mary Chain than ultra vivid scene yeah the tempos were there 
and the the fuzz was there, but it wasn't this druggy leather retro motorcycle rock and roll shit that the Jesus and Mary Chain had sort of bubbling under, and it was much more explicit with Love and Rockets by this time. <laughs> There's none of that in Ultra Vivid Scene. Ultra Vivid Scene has a really weird emotional neutrality to it. And that persisted, I think, throughout the whole thing. And what you get over these three records is a really strong evolution from, you know, a very cathedral reverb, um, thin sounding first album full of fuzz and, you know, sheltered reverb vocals into the second album that has a lot more presence and a lot more punch. And it culminates in this third album, Rev, which not only sounds phenomenal, um, and it isn't buttressed by necessarily the best songwriting in Rausk's, you know, UVS material, but there's a number of different elements of it that reached out to kind of Latino culture and just, you know, even just in name, but also lyrically. You know, I had all these records, I loved all these songs, I never got tired of them, and I never stopped listening to them, ever. You know, and a lot of us started going onto message boards in the early 2000s to talk this stuff out, to figure out, you know, what happened. What, we were all, like, trying so hard to be on top of this music, let's all talk about it now that we can just do it through the internet. So when Pitchfork was really young, there was a message board off of Pitchfork called um, PFMS, Pitchfork Media, because back then, you know, it wasn't Pitchfork, Pitchfork Media Smackdown. And uh, it was like hosted right alongside the website. Ryan Schreiber was the site administrator. And there were, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred of us like that joined this and used to post on it, mostly to complain about record reviews, but also to, you know, trade tapes and, and send each other little packages and stuff and have our emotional freakouts or whatever. That board became less about music and more about just kind of anarchy or whatever. And so oftentimes I was going to um, a more kind of UK and Euro focused board called I Love Music and had a lot to do with Freaky Trigger and these really like chart obsessive, you know, uh, kind of British minded and Australian minded fans. And the reason I mention it is that we had posted a thread, Ned Raggett had actually started a thread asking, you know, do you remember Ultra Vivid Scene? You know, classic or dud? And I chimed in with the memory of recording Mercy Seat off of 120 Minutes and really in particular loving the last song on that first album, Hail Mary. You know, a few people made posts and, and um, you know, recounted Crash and, and some of the other things that had gone on and how Kurt had continued to do music under his own name. He had also put out an ambient album and a record under the name Cathars. At some point in 2004, Kurt Rouse joined ILM and posted a response to this because somebody told him, like, there's these kids talking about you on this music board and some of them write for, you know, pretty big magazines. So he came on and posted and he said, I'm completely embarrassed by Ultra Vivid Scene. I don't even own the first record. I haven't listened to the second one in years. And I only think there's decent stuff. Some of the third album is okay. And I was just like, 
wow. I mean, he's essentially disavowing this music. And it was so long, it was 15 years old. So I mean, he definitely had time, distance, and perspective to have been like, yeah, that was just stuff I did when I was younger. He specifically said, this is really, really embarrassing for me. Um, it's, you know, I was trying to be a pop star and I'm so, you know, ashamed of this or whatever. The songs were coming from my, you know, uh, my fantasies, they, they can fulfill someone else's fantasies, I don't know. <laughs> seen in a more romantic light because you're from New York because in a way if you're from a really untrendy village in Britain mm. do you think you'd have so much tension? Uh, could be but it's true there's something different about New York I mean and I just I mean, he never did anything gross or embarrassing. I mean, I understand that in hindsight, he probably looks at it and he's like, God, I cannot believe I took this bullshit seriously. 